0: Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. If you are just joining us, you need to know that we are doing something counter-cultural as a church. In the midst of a culture that kind of encourages us to put the pedal to the metal and take life's curves at 90 miles an hour... Uh, we are intentionally downshifting into a life of margin. That is, we're learning that life at a breakneck pace, kind of lived according to an overloaded schedule, a life that's stretched to the limit physically, emotionally, maybe financially. While it's action-packed, while it's adrenaline-producing, it's actually not all that it's cracked up to be. Sure, it's a type of of living. All right, some applause for that. (laughs) It's a type of living, but it's not necessarily living well. And so we are reconnecting ourselves with God's gift of the Sabbath. Not just a synonym for Sunday, but this divine cure that God offers to overloaded lives. See, there's tremendous beauty in a life of holy margin where we actually learn to live within our limits, acknowledge our need for rest, and intentionally downshift from life in the fast lane, and learn to be still. Being still is a tough thing in our fast-paced world, but the heart of Sabbath living is learning to intentionally slow the pace of life, and put the focus on quality, not just quantity. That is how we live each day, not just what we get done nine to five. Six days, God said, you have to spend yourself and all your labor, your work, or whatever it is that God has given you to do with your days on earth. But the seventh is to be a Sabbath to the Lord your God, a 24-hour season of rest where you actually stop your running, your plowing, your pushing, and you just let the field lie fallow. Your just life lies fallow. Just be still. And invite God not just to reduce our stress, but actually to restore our souls, In observing the Sabbath, we invite actually the Creator to come in and bring His recreative powers at the deepest place of us, and actually repair and mend all that's been like stressed and broken and depleted from the previous six days. And we acknowledged, um, this is one commandment, I mean, observing the Sabbath, that we are just not good at as Americans, yes? (laughs) Or Westerners, I get a lot of emails from Europe kind of identifying with this, slowing down, being still, it's hard work. It's actually a discipline in which we intentionally hit the pause button and stop all of our doing in order to just just be, to cease our activity and present ourselves before God and open up the space and time for him to actually replenish us at the deep places that need filling, at the levels of all that's important actually in our lives, at our hearts, our relationship with God himself, and our relationships with one another. And so last week, we, to take a step in just establishing margin in your life, I presented you guys, if you remember this, with a Sabbath challenge. Could you take 24 hours to do nothing, to cease your doing, and only do one of two things that observant Jews would engage in on the Sabbath, to pray or to play? In other words, don't do any work or anything that depletes you, no busyness, nothing that moves the ball forward or gets your to-do list done, but just spend a day or an afternoon doing whatever it is that actually restores you. It didn't have to be overtly spiritual. This is not about going to church, all right? We said it could be walking, it could be biking, cooking, reading, fishing, napping, whatever recreates you. It doesn't further exhaust you, but actually has, a, has this recreative effect on you and it invites you to encounter God as your redeemer, liberator from the bondage of overwork and creator, restoring you. And I know this was hard. Someone said to me that uh, two to four hours would have been just enough, but like a whole 24, not so sure. Uh, But you did some neat things with uh, this challenge. One woman posted her experience on liquidchurch.com. She said this, my Sabbath this week seems really simple, but I assure you it was glorious. I baked some bread. (laughs) What's really funny is that the bread came out horribly. It was way too salty and it weighed a hundred pounds. But honestly, just spending time in the kitchen, listening to music with the sun streaming through the window, and having my hands covered in flour was relaxing and perfect, and that salty doorstep was my margin. (laughs) Margin is when we have extra time, when our load does not exceed our limits. We actually have time for the simple things, right? Unhurried time in the kitchen or outdoors, enjoying downtime with kids, not just racing them around on one activity or the next. Here's what one of our online listeners who's actually in school discovered. They said, I've been listening to your sermons every week and found that this particular series really hit home for me. I'm a college senior and having very little, okay, zero margin, with 18 credits, three jobs, and grad school applications. The margin in my life was so tight this week that I pulled two all-nighters in a row just to get all my work done. You remember that? I finally reached my breaking point on Friday night. I took the next day off as a Sabbath. It was the very first Sabbath I've ever kept holy In the five years that I've known Jesus Christ as my personal savior, Tim, I can't even begin to describe to you how wonderful it was. I got rest. I reconnected with friends whose relationships suffered because I was always working. And although these things were great, it wasn't until I spent one-on-one time alone with God that I really received the rest that he provides for weary people. See, I realized I wasn't trusting in God, being paranoid, borderline neurotic, about getting my work done in my own strength. That was my subconscious way of doubting that God was there. It was also the cause of my zero margin lifestyle and my breaking point. Now that this day is over, I almost don't want it to end. The Sabbath really is a gift to God's weary people. It's something I hope to do every week. Some of you are discovering that something as simple as sleep can be a deeply spiritual experience, right? myself, this Monday, on my Sabbath, uh, I spent, as I told you, I was going to spend some time with my kids, and I got a chance to go biking by myself. Haven't done that in a long time. Um, you know, that's how it works, is you get older, life pickpockets you of those things. So I went mountain biking, I have these horse paths behind our house, and I took my bike out there, alright, it was actually my wife's bike, but, you know, just, let's pretend it's a manly mountain bike. And uh, went on those trails, actually took my dog with me, Percy, and uh, and it was awesome, because I am so wicked out of shape. I went like a mile, and like my lungs are burning and exhausted. <clears throat> and we come up over this hill, and we come up over this hill. And we see this pond there, just in the middle, kind of of this, this someone's estate. It was amazing, and um, it was one of those fall moments that you know you have in the Northeast. I mean, aren't the trees amazing at this moment, right? Just just ablaze, like the, the the mountain ridge is like on fire, just totally quiet. And I'm standing there, just looking, and just. Going, sucking wind, <laughs> and the dog is standing there, and, and as I was looking up at the sky, the most amazing thing happened, I heard this honking in the distance, and I was like, is that a car, what is that, and I hear, huh, huh, and over this ridgeline, in perfect formation, drifting down, is this V of geese, and my dog Percy is like, hum. you know, he just like looks, you know, at this, and his ears are, are pricked, and I'm like, wow, how, you know, pretty, and then I start realizing they're coming down towards us closer and closer. And I'm like, get on the bike, you know, <laughs> like uh, these, these, these are coming out and they actually glide in no flapping, just glide in literally and land in formation on this pond in front of us. <sighs> this must've been 10 yards away from us. And it was a holy moment. I stood there with my dog. Percy didn't even bark. I think he was so stunned and just drank in the beauty of the, of this, of this moment. And I thank God. I was like, like, God, you are an amazing creator. That song we just sang kind of came to mind. You know, my God, when I am awesome wonder, when I consider all the world your hands have made, take the time to be still. I see the stars, I see the woods, the geese drifting, and when I have the margin to drink that in, then sings my soul, and it wakes up, my Savior, God to thee, how great you are. Holy moment. Monday afternoon. A moment made for worshiping, not in church, not to a song here, but in God's temple. All made possible just because of a little extra Sabbath margin. See, folks, making time for this kind of recreation, or should I say recreation? these things are not secondary to your life. We think of them as leisure, like, well, that's what we do when we have a little extra time. Uh-uh. God says these are essential if you're to cultivate this acute awareness of God's presence in your day-to-day life outside of church and actually keep your heart malleable and well-watered. It's not about squeezing in some downtime. That's what our culture would uh, dictate, you know, say to us. Instead, it's adopting a different way of living, an approach to life that doesn't press for more and more, faster and faster, bell to bell, and just makes us dizzy, but actually says, would you be willing to do less and less, slower and slower, and awaken to God's presence in your nine-to-five life? Take on a yoke, Jesus says, that's actually easier and lighter than what the world pushes us to do. And Jesus said, this is part of experiencing eternal life. Remember that word eternal? It simply means you're no longer bound by time because you instead live your life in the rhythms of the one who actually holds time in his hands. The cure for a manic Monday is a Sabbath Sunday. (laughs) Recovering God's gift of the Sabbath every week and taking that regular spa time for your soul. Now, to get practical, guys, this week... Maybe you need to play the hero and make this happen. Because I, I see some of you guys are like, yes, yes. You've got like your fly rod all rigged up in your mind. But your wife actually needs a Sabbath from the kids. Here's what one guy did. I thought this was the coolest idea ever. He went ahead and sent his wife to a hotel for a full 24-hour period. Booked her a room. Took the kids and literally surprised her, packed her, a, he said, I packed her a duffel, I put a, a, a novel in there by like one of her favorite authors, put a Nora Jones CD in there, and I checked her in and drove away. And she was like stunned. She's like, no way. He's like, I mean it. No kids. No commitment. She's like, no strings attached? No strings attached. You're not coming back, you know, in the middle of the night in the hotel room? No, I'm not coming back. I'm taking the kids. And, and, and he said, when I picked her up the next morning, she was like a new lady. He said, I was a wreck, but she was completely refreshed. Okay, that's the spirit of the Sabbath. You actually recognize that other people in your life need margin, not just you. So if it's in your power this week to, 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 to you know, give them the gift of going to God's spa, be creative, because the options are limitless. You don't have to be married. Maybe you could do that, you know, give, give a gift to someone in your, in your life group who needs some margin. But if you really want to incorporate recreative margin in your personal life, your work life, your financial life, you have, you have to fight for it. Because it doesn't come naturally. And in many ways, our culture is dead set against it. That's why it's so hard for many of you. And I appreciate some of you who are not there yet. Um, This honesty of this this post on liquidchurch.com. Someone wrote this. They said, okay, here's the hard truth, Tim. I stink truly at these Sabbath moments. I don't seem to make them happen as easily as I could. Why? What could happen? Am I scared, lazy, indifferent? I was thrilled to see a liquid friend this week taking a great margin moment While reading a book at Port City, Java, while I went into the gym to hit the treadmill. Oh, the irony. I saw it and yet kept ignoring it. Crap. (laughs) I wonder if weeks like this, if I disappoint God, I must. You need to know something. If you haven't put any of this into action yet in your life, you don't disappoint God. At least not in the sense of like him looking down his nose on you thinking like, this is too bad. Blew it again. If God's disappointed, I think, honestly, it's the kind of disappointment that a parent just feels when they long to see their child. Like, oh, I was, I was so hoping to see you, to spend time together this week, but, but I will wait. Remember Jesus said, I am gentle and humble in heart. I won't force this on you, but know this. I love you, and I will be here in the margins waiting for you. Because it's in the margins that relationships happen. So don't beat yourself up, Okay. This is an entirely new way of approaching life. It's counterculture, And there's, there's not only guilt to overcome, I think there's fear too. Like, well, what if I did slow down? What would I do with myself? I'm not good at slowing down. Anyone feel that way? You're, you're like, yeah, okay. You're like, I know I like the treadmill. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's tiring, but you know, I prefer the adrenaline of running. I'm not good at sitting still. You may identify with that. Being still is hard. It is actually a discipline. And like anything, it takes effort if you really want to work it into your life. So today, I want to get completely practical. By the way, some of you are like, wait, I thought we were talking about money today. You know, it says God's bling in the bulletin. We're actually going to address the issue of money next week. We're going to spend three weeks hitting the issues of debt and financial margin head on. But before we turn that corner, I want to spend one more week just going a deeper level on this because I feel it has struck a chord with so many of you. I have received more emails for this series than when we did sex on the Song of Solomon. (laughs) It's amazing to me. I said that to someone in the lobby, and it was a husband, and he said, "Uh, That's because no margin, no sex. That's just the way it goes. (laughs) So let me invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We'll look at verses 38 through 42. This is a great vignette in Luke's gospel that tells how Jesus encountered two women who struggled with margin. They were actually two sisters. One actually embraced the rhythms of Sabbath living. She understood the power of margin. And the other, she was an A-type personality. And if that's you and you're here and you're like, oh, it's slowing down, I'm A-type, you'll identify. She's action-oriented. Had a hard time when it came to sitting still. And in fact, she criticized her slacker sister for taking time to downshift. Now, the names of these two sisters were, do you remember this? Mary and Martha, the M&M sisters. And their encounter with Jesus here is revealing. In fact, I really want to challenge you as we read this. um, Which sister do you identify with most? Mary or Martha? And then we'll take a moment to see what we can learn and apply from their encounter with Christ. Luke 10, starting at verse 38. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was, let's use the word together, distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is actually needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Sibling rivalry. A tale of two sisters, one with a bias for action and one kind of a contemplative. But both were godly women. They were actually both followers of Jesus. But in this account, they apparently invited Jesus over for dinner. And I assume they did it for a reason any of us invite someone over our house for dinner, for a meal, right? Why? You want to get to know them better, right? But they had very different approaches to this, didn't they? Martha is a doer. A-type personality, whirlwind in the kitchen, action-oriented, get-her-done bumper sticker on her chariot. Okay? How many of you identify with Martha? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand for one or the other. How many would say, I am, you are Martha? Okay? That's great. She's not at all, she's not all bad. I mean, on the positive side, she's very hospitable. She opens her home. She wants to serve Jesus. What's wrong with that? On the negative, maybe she's a little bit of a martyr complex. Why won't anyone help me? <laughs> I'm the only one pulling away. So, so Martha, okay, great. How many of you identify with Mary, though? Okay, a little bit less? Wow, okay, about half less, maybe a... Th- wow, all right, three of you. Uh, <laughs> you. Sitting and listening is not hard for you. Being still and focused... Maybe you're a little oblivious to what else is going around you, but, 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 okay, Mary. So Martha or Mary. Now, I want you to keep that in your mind, okay? And if you don't know what you are, just ask your spouse. Alright? Or ask your coworkers. How would your coworkers describe you? Myself, I identify with marginless Martha. <laughs> I am a doer. I have a bias for action. My life is characterized kind of by bang and clatter, you know, in the kitchen. And again, this isn't a sin. Part of it's your wiring, part of it's your personality. I mean, think about this. If Jesus were coming to your uh, your condo or your apartment or your home this afternoon, what would you do? You'd probably cut out early, right? You'd want the place in shape. You'd clean up. You'd cram all the, the, the crap in the closet, right? Whip something up in the, in the kitchen or, or make a run for Wegmans, get a party platter. Uh, you know, It's not every day God stops by for dinner, so there's a lot to do. The only problem is that when Jesus arrives, the word used to describe Martha is distracted, which literally means Attention diverted, two places at once. Conflicted emotional directions. And you know you're Martha when distraction is kind of the way you walk through life. See if this doesn't identify. So you left the office early and you're finally home for dinner or whatever, you're with your family, but still in your mind, you are dialed in. So at dinner, it's like, so anyway, dad, I'm so what? What did what you say? What did you say? I'm sorry. Your body is half there, but your mind is in another place. You live in a constant state of distraction. You know how you know you're a Martha? You're a Martha when you're a list keeper. The text says that Martha was distracted by all, go back one, by all the preparations that had to be made. In other words, she had a list of stuff in her head that had to be done by the end of the day, all for Jesus, right? Wash the floor, clean up the living room, get bread, get out the good china. Nice bottle of wine. Well, we could do water, whatever. He'll take care of it. Martha's. (laughs) Martha's are notorious list keepers. At home, at work, at school. You like checking things off. How many of you like checking things off? Right? Awesome. I love it too. Right? There's no list you can't conquer. Maybe you have one in in your pocketbook, your laptop, your Palm Pilot. You know you're a Martha when you do the third thing that scripture says. Martha did. You radiate stress. Notice how Jesus describes Martha. He says, you seem to be, what are the words in verse 41? Worried and upset. We would use the term stressed out. But whatever was happening here, when Jesus showed up and Martha opened the door, the place might have been immaculate, but inside Martha was imploding and radiating a little bit. So she opens it up. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Mary. Mary, Mary, get out. Sorry, Jesus, just, you know, would you just, would you get a Tatso chai for the Savior? Um, just use the good mugs, you know, and uh, can I take your tunic? Uh, you know, worried, upset, because <laughs> there's so much to do and there are only so many hours in the day and most people can't keep up with your pace and that's frustrating to you. Again, wherever God's planned you, nine to five in the home or the office. I mean, I'm joking around here. But Martha's radiate stress and they, and they turn it on those closest to him, right? Who does she turn it on? Her sister. <laughs> That's one of the natural things we do when we live without margin. We turn on family members, those closest to it. And Martha's like, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me do all the work by myself? She abandoned me. I'm to keep tra- Are you to keeping score, Jesus? Because she cut out. She didn't do any of this. And Jesus responds with this very revealing rebuke. And I imagine him saying it very gently but very directly, Martha, Martha, (laughs) you are very worried and upset about a lot of stuff. I see you've got the lists. But only one thing is needed today. And your sister has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better. Only one thing is needed. And what exactly is this? What is Look at the text. What is Mary doing that causes Jesus to pause, to point, and praise her and say, Martha, you're missing the essence of life. It's about one thing. That's what it's all about. Answer verse 39. Mary sat, let's read this together. Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Sitting, listening, being still, still before God, just quietly sitting in his presence and listening to what he has to say. Only one thing is needed, stillness, which is literally defined as silent, quiet, without movement or agitation, at rest, tranquil. Your sister Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken from her. And the big idea here, folks, is that if you truly want to get to know God better, if you are serious about restoring balance to a frenetic life, then you must learn the rhythms of Sabbath stillness. A true Sabbath is grounded in stillness, not doing anything, but slowing ourselves and actually entering into silence, allowing room for quiet in our lives, sitting and listening, doing nothing but just being present to God clearing the clutter of our everyday lives so we can hear his voice. Now, I want to connect an anchor verse to this concept before we get practical because it's a beautiful invitation given by God to us in the middle of the Bible. In Psalm 46.10, God says, invites us, be still and know that I am God. How do the Marthas in this room, including me, how do we downshift from our marginless approaches to life, and learn to be still. I mean, is it really possible not to live life in a distracted way? Be fully present to others? Is it possible to get done what needs to be done in our lives, in the time that we have? How many of you were like, I love it, daylight savings time last night. Yes, the 25-hour day. Once a year, I get it. And I can crank out a little extra. Would it be nice not to be worried and upset for half your life? Not always actually radiating stress to your family and coworkers and friends and actually offer something better than just your stress? The question for before us, folks, is how do you cultivate a merry heart in a Martha world? And the reality is, like anything else, you go into training. Stillness is a discipline. It means you have to work at it. It's a very important spiritual discipline in the Christian life. And the discipline of stillness really has three main aspects. It involves slowing down. That is learning to downshift the pace of your daily life and actually fast or refrain from speed living every day. The second is solitude. It would be willing to withdraw from the crowd and fasting, and this is hard, from being constantly in contact with people 24-7. And the third one is silence. That is withdrawing from the noise in our lives on a regular basis to actually clear enough room to listen for the voice of God himself. Slowing down, solitude, and silence. These are the three key ingredients of the disciplines of stillness before God. And what I want to do is just take a few minutes to talk about each one and what that might look like in your life if you were to begin incorporating these disciplines this fall. We're going to start with slowing down. I mean, as, as I've said, most of us here living in the Northeast, we live at a breakneck pace. There's no surprise there. I mean, everything in our, our neck of the woods is about speed, right? It's, it's how we drive, right? Turbo-injected. It's how we eat, fast food, drive through right? It's how we shop, one click, next day delivery, right? I love amazon.com. Products are marketed that way. Buy two-in-one shampoo. I mean, who would want to waste five minutes doing them separately? (laughs) Get an easy pass so you can take that toll booth at 45 miles an hour instead of five. Not bad, through the tunnel, lickety-split. We eat on the run. Check this out. According to a recent survey, a full one third of all daily meals now consumed by Americans are eaten in cars. One third of all daily meals eaten in vehicles. Drive through, dine and dash, one third of it. Life on the run, incredible. Cultural critic Robert Banks notes that while America, we're very rich in goods, we are extremely time poor. In the third world, by contrast, those of you who are traveled, you, you know, you see poverty and possessions, but richness in time. I mean, if you travel at all, you know most cultures are not nearly as driven and hurried as we are, right? I remember backpacking through rural Italy, and I was shocked at the pace of life. It was more like a yawn, okay, than a yawp. People sit on the streets and talk. They seem to work like a few hours in the morning, maybe. Close up shop at noon, and then it's siesta time. Back to work around 4 o'clock and they start eating a leisurely dinner around 8 or 9. And, and, and it seemed like the locals felt like they had all the time in the world just to, just to save her life. Most of us, on the other hand, are driven by a nagging sense that there's simply not enough time to get done what I need to get done. And so we speed it up. We take shortcuts. We adopt these silly little habits that let us do more, but actually cripple the quality of our life. Social commentators actually have a name for this. This is, this is a, a new term that's coming into play. Hurry sickness. Have you heard of this? <clears throat> Let me give you two quick portraits of people of hurry sickness. Maybe you'll recognize a friend in there or yourself. How about the multitasker, right? The guy or the gal who's always doing three things at once. So this is the guy in the car. I saw him on Saturday when I was driving. He's talking on his cell phone. Sorry, he's got a headset. He's flipping through his CDs. He's fiddling like with MapQuest. He's driving, he's eating, and he's like shaving all at once, right? Right? Or maybe she's putting makeup on, right? And steering with the knees. Ever do that one, right? All at once. Multitaskers. They are, they are highly prized in our business world. The person who can talk to a client on the phone, manage an office, draft a memo, shoot out emails at the same time, you will get rewarded for that. The speed demon. This is the person who is constantly on the go, rushing everywhere. You're always 15 chronically minutes late behind because you've always packed it so tight. So this is the drug rep, right? Who's got five appointments in three counties all before noon. Or the mom who's a taxi service, the guy who's always on the go. And again, you can do that in your job, but you can't turn it off. So here's what happens. You bring that competitive edge to everything you do in life. Speed demons, you know what I'm talking about, right? Something as simple as going to the grocery store, you approach like the Olympics. You ever do this? You arrive at the checkout. You know, I'm a little bit of a speed demon. When I arrive at the checkout, right, I got my stuff, and you quick do the eyeball and do the mental calculations, right? Let's see, i got got right, five people in the express lane, three in the regular line. But the express people have under 15 items, and the second lady in the regular line has three kids. That'll slow her down. I'm going express. And you make a break for the express line. And as you wait, you ever do this one? You, as you wait in line, you watch out of the corner of your eye, keeping track of the person who would have been you in the other line. Right? And... No, and if you get through, and that person who would have been you is still waiting, you are like, yes. Just <laughs> wisely. But, but if the altar, you was walking out of the store and you're still in line, man, boom, you get angry. You're like depressed or frustrated. You know how it feels, right? When you're next in line, and then suddenly the old lady in front of you can't find her checkbook, and you're like, it's cash only, come on. And she's like, oh, and I forgot these coupons. Ah! That's hurry sickness. John Ortberg writes, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Hurry can destroy souls. Hurry can keep us from living well. As Carl Jung wrote, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Profound. The problem with this is that when we live our lives constantly distracted, it simply means that we lack the time. To love others well. Sure, we speed up and get our stuff done, but we lack the time for the one thing that actually matters most. Love. If you go back to Martha's example, it's amazing how she approached her relationship with her sister and with her savior. Martha is a speed demon, a multitasker. and She brought that right into the two relationships that were supposed to matter most in her life. With all her hurrying around to get her to-do list checked off, guess what she, where she aimed her laser, right? But Martha was so distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, you can go ahead, I'll put this up there for you. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It's Mary's fault, my slacker sister. If you feel like your life is overloaded and you're up to your neck in it, the first thing you do is blame those closest to you. It's my husband's fault. It's the kids who drive the schedule. Or it's my boss at work. He's the slave driver. Really? Really? I mean, I don't doubt those may be factors, but what's really driving you? And who's to blame? Martha, you know, blames her sister for her own frenzy. And then catch this. I love this. She blames God. Lord, don't you care? She actually accuses Jesus of being apathetic. (laughs) See, busyness is what happens when we forget who God is. When we think we have to run the universe by ourselves and we become embittered. And our family relationships suffer. And our relationship with God suffers. Our prayers actually become, start hurried and panic, And actually instead of talking with God, we bring to Him just our busyness. We we present our laundry list, we start vomiting, right? God, I can't can't keep up. you got to help me with all this. And we don't even pray. We just invite God to to help get our stuff done. And change other people too. Tell her to help me. Okay. (laughs) God, please open my husband's eyes. He's lazy or my boss's shriveled soul, because he's overbearing. We shift the blame on the outside because we're in too much of a hurry to actually take a look in the mirror, and love dries up. Our relationships with her, with God, with others. Lack of love. That's one of the symptoms of hurry sickness. doesn't make a difference which one you mirror, multitasker, speed demon. They're fundamentally unable to love God and others well. See, what happens is this. You cultivate the habits to save time and make life go quicker, and then you bring it into your relationships. When you bring hurry to a relationship, you get the friend who's talking with you on the phone, but secretly writing an email or surfing the net in the background. Yeah, you've never done this, right? I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day, and I'm sharing a little bit just of my heart and kind of my struggle with this, and, uh, and he's going, oh, really? Wow, dude. Mm, wow. And I just hear in the background, and I notice that every time I get like, to a pause, he says, wow, dude, really? And I'm like, yeah, actually, um, my head is on fire right now. Oh, wow, dude, really? And I'm like, are you doing email? Stop. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What do yeah, multitasking. Real recipe for heart connection and relationship. Speed demon, you bring the, the racetrack to relationships. You know the person and you're talking to them and they're, and they're, and they're kind you ever do this? You, we do this at church. Yeah, I see some of you in the lobby. You're talking with someone and they're kind of like, oh, really? Huh? Right, okay, yeah, really? Looking side to side or, oh, real? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear. Looking now at their watch. Or when you start nodding your head and going, uh huh, yeah, really? Oh, okay, so how was it? You try to get them to accelerate, step on it, you feel it. Unable to love other people well because there's not enough time. You have to feel like they don't respect you because your relationship is a series of missed appointments, chronic lateness, and never following through. People who hurry are like Martha, always responding to the urgent but failing to recognize what's truly important. Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary's chosen what's better, and it won't be taken from her. In other words, because you're moving so fast, you're so busy getting her done, all you can respond to is what's urgent, what's in front of you. But if you've missed the one thing that's important, and that's love. Love of God, love of those around you. Your sister, I know she moves a little slower, but guess what? She chose what's better. She's the smart one. It won't be taken away from her. In other words, if you hurry, hurry, hurry in your life, you will get stuff done. You will make money, but it will not last. You'll be giving your time and energy to urgent stuff, which God knows everyday life is full of urgent stuff. But you don't have the bandwidth to discern what's eternal, what will not be taken from you, what's truly important. Investing yourself in the only thing that will take with us to heaven. Relationships. With Jesus first, with others second. I know. Too busy to to see that. Loving God and others well takes time. It requires us to slow down. The spiritual life cannot be done at a sprint. And if you don't learn the discipline of slowing... You'll lack the patience to allow for a knowledge of Jesus really to take root in your life. You'll be plagued by worrying upset. Distracted, fragmented, emotionally unavailable to God, your family, your friends. Orpberg just nails this thing, by the way. Awesome book, The Life You've Always Wanted. He says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Man. <sighs> I'm not in danger of becoming an atheist, but a practical one. That's why Jesus never hurried. We'll see this in a minute. Slowing down means taking the time to love, to decline the urgent, and discern the important in your life. So here's challenge number one for you this week. Take away. Here's maybe something you do. What's one thing you could do this week that would slow you down? If you're a speed demon, maybe it's choosing the longest line at the grocery store. Let's start real simple, Okay. Or maybe it's leaving 15 minutes of buffer zone for your departures and arrival this week so you're not freaking out your family to get them in the car and get to church on time. Or better yet, what could you do that would inconvenience yourself but powerfully communicate to someone else that you're taking the time to love them? Maybe it's instituting a new role. You will no longer multitask when you talk with other people. No email, cell phone, side conversation, texting all at the same time. What would a 24-hour fast from speed look like for you? You know what a fast is, by the way? Spiritual term. A fast is is when you deny yourself something, like some people fast, they don't don't eat food. In order to focus on developing a new spiritual strength, what could you do this week? What could you fast from that would break your addiction to speed, the urgent, and reestablish the priority of love, the important? Here's the big idea. By slowing down this week, Jesus is inviting you to actually get less done, but do the right things. Catch this? Building margin into your life means you will not get some things done. That's Martha's worry. But it also means you will no longer walk through life a big ball of stress and anxiety and worry and judgment towards others. Your conversations with God won't just be a laundry list of what's stressing you out and blaming people, but asking God to change you, slowing down. It is the first of that three-part discipline known as stillness, and it's essential. The second is solitude, which simply means breaking from the pack in our hyper-connected world in order to simply be alone with God. Fasting from people which is very difficult in our constantly connected world, yes? There was a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal some time ago. It was put there by a wireless company. I think it was Lucent. It showed off their new, like, phone, beeper, BlackBerry, whatever it is, and it read this. The good news is you're always connected to the office. The bad news is you're always connected to the office. That's what they used to sell their new pager. There's an upside and a downside to living in the age of the iPhone. We are always in touch with someone, which simply means natural solitude erodes. We have no more time alone anymore. We have accessibility overload. There is no place for you to hide. Even when you're away from work, work's emails a click away. Pagers, beepers, voicemail, texting, in many ways, with emerging technology, there's no natural excuse for being unavailable. How many times have you actually heard that? Where were you all day? I tried to call you like five times. This constant connectivity, I'd like to call this person the constant connector, this actually erodes our alone time. We don't ever have time to be alone and constantly be in touch. So this is the guy who picks up his cell phone regardless of who he or she is talking to or whatever they're talking about. Like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your loss. That must have been devastating. Oh, sorry. Hold on one sec. Hey, what up, dog? You ever have that? It's like, whoa. This is a pet peeve of mine, all right? Okay, I know friends who, you know, you could be sharing your heart with them, but if that thing goes off, it's like they can't resist just answering it. Cell phones mean that you've given permission for someone, anyone, to break and enter your life at any time of night or day. And call waiting, that simply means last come, first served. 24-7 connectedness erodes margin and that inner renewal that Sabbath solitude brings. So here's the deal. There's something about being alone every day, every week, that becomes a source of strength in the spiritual life if you want to grow. Jesus is our model for this. Solitude started his day. Mark's gospel tells us that first thing, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and let's read this together, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, which is simply to say, before the kids were up, before he checked his BlackBerry, Before he returned phone calls, before he watched Sports Center highlights, he spent priority alone time with his father. And this was a recurring pattern in his life, according to Luke. It said, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, it was a habit. That's where he drew his strength and power from, solitude, time alone, away from the crowd, simply in his Father's presence. And this was Jesus' secret to empowered ministry. I, I, I believe this with all my heart. Regular, intentional withdrawals from pushing away from the crowd, the staff, the disciples, to just spend in the presence of his Father to be replenished and sharpened and empowered. It's incredible, actually. If you um, take a survey of the Gospels, how often Jesus like just takes off. It's like, just as it starts getting popular and people crowd in, all of a sudden he's like climbing up the hillside, getting in a boat, going across a lake, or going into the wilderness to disconnect from the world and spend alone time with his father. Consider this brief survey. Think about this. You remember how Jesus began his ministry? Where, you, where was it? With over a month of margin, 40 days of solitude in the desert, disconnected from the world, no cell towers. Why? For strengthening before he engaged in spiritual warfare. Before his big decisions, Jesus made room for solitude. Guess what he did before choosing his 12 disciples? Luke says he spent the entire night alone in the desert hills. So here's a question for you. Do you have a big decision coming up? Maybe you're an executive. You've got a decision. Maybe something in your marriage. You're a te- you have a big decision? How about actually not inviting more people's opinions in, but actually withdrawing and gathering with God? See, that's how power is restored to depleted lives. It's how we move beyond mere survival and actually make an impact in our world. If you turn to Matthew 14 quickly, this is the last thing I just want to look at. You're going to see this pattern of withdrawal and solitude followed by powerful activity. Just take a look at this. In Matthew 14:13, it says that Jesus withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. In other words, he made time to withdraw, to be alone privately, disconnected, no work, no clamor, just Sabbath time to regroup. Now, watch, follow this. What happens after this moment of margin? What do you see here? What follows this season of solitude? Look at the heading. Jesus, what? Feeds the 5,000. He comes walking out of this time alone with God and he feeds 5,000 people, a humanitarian crisis, with a few loaves and some fish. He actually accomplishes a miracle of exponential impact coming out of a time of rest alone. Keep going. As soon as he does this, 10 verses later... It says, and when he sent the multitudes away, where'd he go? Up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Solitude to close his day. He didn't just veg out and watch Grey's Anatomy. He decompressed the day with God. And next thing you know, what's he doing? Look at the heading. What's next? He's walking out on water <laughs> to the disciples' boat. Another miracle. And you see this connection time and time again. Strategic withdrawal into solitude followed by Exponential impact in his life. Jesus knew a thing or two about the secret of solitude. He lived out of it, he feasted on it. He was always withdrawing from his work. Did he have more work to do? You know it. <laughs> Retreating with his father and then reengaging with the world. Okay, A type, this click. You're, you're tracking? Building margin into your life is not about weakness, it's not about laziness or an excuse to slack off. It's just the opposite. A life of stillness is actually the secret to an empowered life, to a life that has impact, to a life where you're not just scraping by or feel like you're futilely flaying just to get things done, but you actually have focus and clarity to know what's worth doing. And you work out of a place of divine strength and wisdom rather than hyper-connected and crowded, harry decision-making. Solitude is a central engine to an empowered Christian life. There's a lot more that can be said about this, but we lack the time. So I'll just direct you to a book, very powerful book. It's called The Celebration of Discipline, written by a guy by the name of Richard Foster. We put a link on it on liquidchurch.com. But Foster writes, he says, the fruit of solitude is actually increased sensitivity and compassion for others. There comes a new freedom to really be with people. There's new attentiveness to their needs, new responsiveness to their hurts. You guys know this intuitively. When you're spent, at the end of the day, You've got nothing left to offer people. Solitude is like the refueling station of the soul where God actually ministers tenderly to you, reminds us of his grace, so then we can actually minister grace to other people. That is the paradox of solitude. You get this? One of the best gifts you can give to people you truly love is to disconnect from them from time to time. Because when you gather with God alone, he has a way actually of quieting you like a father wrapping his arms around a restless toddler and reminding you of what's important and restoring your soul. And only then do you have the strength to re-engage and offer people your strength, not your exhaustion, your compassion. When you're stilled and you're filled, you don't have to fake it. You return with renewed patience for your kids. You are filled with the humility to actually say, I'm sorry, to your spouse. This is counterintuitive. But only as you limit and restrict access to others, withdraw into solitude, do you increase your capacity to love them fully. Catch this. Stillness, slowness, solitude. That was Jesus' pattern. And it's still the model for us today. Do you remember his invitation last week to his disciples? He said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away to a solitary place. It still applies. Disconnect. Come alone, says God. I will strengthen you for what is facing you this week. Practical challenge number two. What steps could you take this week to carve out space and time for some solitude, maybe just an hour? Let me be more precise. What could you turn off Because to be alone means you have to shut down the flow of information. You actually have to turn off yourself. You have to power down your laptop. You have to turn off the TV, stop the texting, shut off the pager, iPhone, Xbox, TiVo, DVDs. It's not about escaping life, folks. It's about retreating into the presence of God. What could you turn off this week to ensure solitude has a place in your life? Martha was worried and upset about many things. Can you imagine if she had email? (laughs) So I'm declaring a fast, a 24-hour fast from anything electronic that connects us permission to disconnect and withdraw is granted some of you you are this is coming at just the right time because you're facing a critical decision in your life you don't need to hear from more people you need to hear from god himself and that leads us to the final aspect of stillness silence which is simply the ability to listen quietly and hear god's voice the final detail you notice that mary about mary that jesus highlights he says this is what it's about is that she sat At the Lord's feet, doing what? Listening to what he said. Silence is the last and most important characteristic of Sabbath stillness. It should be marked by silence. And this will be the hardest. Because our worlds are filled with a lot of noise, yes? Your day today probably began with noise. Blaring alarm clock. What do you do then next, right? Maybe you snap on the news or you get ready for work or school TV on. It's radios or CDs in the car. And then you're at work and now the kids are up and then they're screaming or your boss is screaming. And the bang and the clatter is like a constant soundtrack for many of us and just keeps up that way. And what happens is when we have free time, we don't unplug from that. We put the little white earbuds in and pump some music. Just keep the party going. Learn to be still. Learn to create room for silence in your daily life. And this is critical if we're going to learn to be still as Mary did and actually discern the voice of God. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that God has a message for you this week. Maybe you're facing a big decision and he wants to give you some guidance on that. Or maybe it's a simple message. Um, You've been playing Superman or Superwoman and this series on margin has maybe raised some painful areas in your life. And you don't know if there's a way to actually restore balance. You're just getting the crap kicked out of you. You don't, you don't know if there's a way to actually rescue those relationships or your finances or whatever it is that's going down to you and you feel like no one cares. But God does. And you know that, but it's one thing to know it and it's a whole other thing to hear it from God himself. If God had a message for you this week, would you be quiet enough, still enough, silent enough to actually hear his voice? I wonder. I wonder if it was simple, the simplest of messages. God saying, Imagine God saying to you, the simplest of messages, I love you. You matter to me. I wonder if you could hear it above the current noise in your life. Could you discern God's voice if he had that message for you? I love you. And you matter to me, or would it be drowned out? It's a dog I love you. Dog world, man. Well, you matter. I don't believe in God. I believe in science. I love How you. How much is that going to cost? I mean, the you matter. It didn't me. turn out quite like it. Hey, Mom. Dad? A cookie? Hey, Mom, have a cookie? Never it's only to wrong. I love you, you. get caught. No, for you matter. This season you This season's must-have no, on sale today. Hey, Dad. Can I we play soccer? You must not have great heart. You matter. You no matter. You matter. You This season's must-have on sale today. I love you. Why don't just live? You matter. He said he would call me. But he never did I love you. She really likes Reagults, Watching the birds change color and fall. I love you. I I love you. I love you. I love you. to me. You've got to shut it off, folks. Learn to be still and silent and hear the voice of God above the racket. Scripture says that God is constantly speaking to each one of us all the time, but he's waiting for you to be quiet enough to simply sit at his feet and listen as Mary did. This will be new to some of you. Incorporating silence into your spiritual life. This is not about our speaking. For some of us, if we pray at all, they're very noisy and busy. Laundry lists, telling God what needs doing. And that's fine. God says, let me know your request. But true Sabbath stillness is about the art of listening and being quiet enough, as Mary was, to hear what God wants to say personally to you. This may be a shocker to some of you as you leave here. You don't even believe it. God has something that He wants to say to me? Me? Yes, you. Little old you. Little old busy you. And imagine this He's been wanting to speak with you for some time about important things. Maybe you're like, so why hasn't He? Because you've been busy, you've been noisy. You've been on the treadmill with your headphones on, refusing to get off and just be still for a moment, just long enough to quiet down and hear his voice. I want everyone to take a moment right now, just close your eyes, just for a few seconds. Just go ahead and close your eyes, close them. And at the first sound you hear, I want you to now open them. Only one thing is needed, Martha. Be still and know that I am God and I love you and you matter to me. Learn to be still. Slow down, silence, solitude the essence of the divine life of love and of power and connectedness with all that matters most you've been presented with three options this week challenges one's a small step one's a medium step one's a hard step slowing down fasting from speed what one thing could you do this week stand in line at the bank <laughs> inconvenience yourself to spend that time with God not multitasking or rushing around, replenishing your love for your family? Maybe it's solitude. Would you be willing to take a day to turn it all off, that constantly connected, a day of no emails, of cell phones, of answering machines, voicemail, and withdraw from the crowd to spend time with God alone? Take Scripture with you. That's how you'll know you've heard the voice of God. He will never contradict himself or anything he says in his word. You allow that time alone to bring new strength and power to your life as it did for Jesus. Or maybe it's silence this week. A 24-hour fast from all the media and noise in your life to hear God's voice. What will you do with this week? What might God have to say to you? Only one thing is needed. Margin is vital and stillness is central. He who has ears can hear it. Let her hear. Let's pray. God, you have spoken clearly and even in these closing moments, Father, I ask that you would grant us these things. Courage to slow down this week space and time alone with you in silence to hear your voice. Would you still us and speak personally and gently to us and let us know that you are our God and we are yours alone. Amen.